everyone. Uh, welcome to another episode of Tickle.Life's podcast, talking about sex. Tell me your story. I am your host, Linnea Marie, and I have a special guest here with me today. And I'm super excited to talk about these topics that he is willing to um, discuss with us. So hello and welcome, TJ, to this podcast. Hey, Linnea. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. So we have some, we have two really good juicy topics that I think um, our listeners could really benefit from, and um, I can't wait to talk about them. So the first one is you found out that you had an eight-year-old son. Oh, yeah. Please, please elaborate on that. Please, you know, set up the scene and the details of what your life was at that time and, and like, how did this happen? All of that. Well, let's travel back in time together, Linnea. Uh, So in 2006, I moved from my home in Pittsburgh to California. And... I was just at that time partying really hard and like living a entertainment lifestyle uh, for since nobody really knows anything about me. I'll kind of just fill them in a little bit about who I am and what I do. So I'm a professional DJ. I've been a professional DJ almost all of my life. It feels like so I started when I was in high school when I was 15. Uh, I'm going to be 38 this year. So uh, 23 years now I've been a DJ. Yes, okay. Uh, at this point, 2006, I was primarily DJing raves. Uh, I was going up and down the East Coast. I was traveling to the Midwest and performing at a lot of different uh, types of venues, things like that. So uh, 2006, I would hit a point where I was just partying more than I was performing and mm-hmm. really needed to get my shit together and decided that I was going to go to California and start my life and of course you know when you're moving away you party harder because you're like i'm never going to see these people again and one of the parties that i had happened to come across paths with an ex-girlfriend of mine that was having some issues with the man of in her life at the time which led to us having a night together like literally maybe a week or two before i left the state mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I moved to California. I start my life. I don't really think anything about this girl or any of this stuff. One day I'm sitting at work and I'm in front of my computer at the time. And a friend of mine, I was talking to, this is MySpace at the time. So oh. pre-Facebook. So on MySpace, uh, a friend of mine says, man, you really got to take a look at the pictures of this kid. He looks just like you. And I'm like, that's silly. So your friend saw the, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. So my friend Jason sends me this the link to her MySpace page. I look at it and I'm like, I've seen my own baby pictures. I know exactly right. what I look like as a baby. And I was like, ooh, whew, that kid has very strong genetics that look like mine. And like mom is a blonde haired, blue eyed, like does not look like this woman mm-hmm. at all. And the dad that should be the dad also like no resemblance to me in the slightest. So... I spent a day or so kind of processing this whole image that I looked at before I finally messaged her. And I was like, you know, Hey, how's it going? Uh, you know, it's been a long time. And I mean, this has been, this, we're talking like two or three years later now. So this okay. is like, like a small child. And she's like, Oh, Hey, I'm good. You know, usual banter. I'm like, you know, I just got to say, I was looking at some of these pictures of you and your kid and uh, he looks a lot like me. Oh my God. And her response was, yeah, you can't say that to anybody else. And I oh said, my goodness. I was like, oh, really? She's like, yeah, I mean, chances are he's probably yours. But I didn't tell my husband at that point because they ended up getting back together and getting married and actually had another kid. Oh, my God. Oh, oh it's a it's a <laughs> story. So she doesn't tell him. Uh, she tells me that it's probably mine. And that's kind of just where we had left it for a while. So for probably the next two or three years through MySpace and eventually switching over to Facebook, I kind of just watched this kid grow up from afar. And like the entire time I had, you know, 99% chance he is my kid, but it hadn't been confirmed. And so, how are you feeling at that time though? Like, did it hit you like, oh my gosh, I could really have a kid like the Absolutely. Um, Because I was still a very immature young man at that point. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, 
there is, I, if they, if she would have said to me at that point, you need to come back to Pittsburgh or you need to be a part of this kid's life. Like, I don't know what I would have been able to do. I would have been completely lost. And it, it definitely affected me as far as the way that I kind of view family. And it definitely affected my opinion on women as well, because I just watched this woman give birth to a child and lie to a man and trap him for the rest of his life. All right. Saying that this is his kid. Uh, yeah, exactly. So I, uh, I kind of just let things go for a little bit and probably trying to think what year it was like 2009, I think Mm -hmm. at this point, I don't mind you. I left, maybe it was 2010. So I left 2006. So around 2010, maybe even 2011, um, I had moved on to some other parts of my career that were a little bit more financially stable. And I get a phone call at like 10 o'clock at night from this girl. And I mean, she's never called me. She's had my phone number. I've had the same phone number for like 15 years. Mm -hmm. So she calls me and she's like freaking out, crying. She's like, my, my husband and I got into a huge fight and he's leaving me and I don't know what to do. And I've never worked a day in my life. I've been a stay home mom and I need help financially. And like, I need you to, to step up and do this. After so, how many years? We're talking, the kid would have probably been like six at this time. And now, so, so, you know, she holds the secret from you. And now because her relationship with her husband is failing, she needs you to step up and financially after Correct. six years. After six wow. years. Mind you, I've never met this kid. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't spoke to her in years. So my first response is, um, I'm going to fly back to Pittsburgh because I was living in California and I'll take a paternity test and we'll go mm-hmm. from there. And I come home, I meet the kid, I meet her, and we like spend an afternoon together. Uh, what makes this a more difficult situation is the kid is autistic. Oh, okay. Uh, like almost non-communicative. He's had a lot of therapy since he was a child. He's gotten a little bit better, but like he will always be one of those children that needs assistance Okay. as an adult. So she says to me, you know, I'm going to need help. I'm going to need this. I'm going to need that. So I fly back. I do the paternity test. Meanwhile, her and the husband are still trying to reconcile things. So we go through the whole process. We get the results back. 99.9%. He is my kid. Mm. I mean, I, I could have told you from looking at it. And if you would ever saw the picture, you'd be like, oh yeah, there's no question. Right, 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 right. That's your kid. So I pretty much knew already that was going to happen. We get into the conversation of, you know, how do I help you? Um, what exactly do you want from me type of situation? And essentially I told her like, listen, I'm not trying to step in and be dad. That's not what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. I, it's not fair to this kid. He's never met me. Like, how do you even adjust to that sort of thing? Especially that quickly. Um, and especially when he already has um, some major learning disability problems. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> I offer to financially step in, you know, I'll give you, you know, X amount of dollars every month to help pay for whatever you need. And, you know, if you need more, we can discuss that later. And for a while, that's like what she wanted before I can even send her a first payment. Her husband calls me and I've never met this man. I've never spoken to this man. Uh, I know nothing about him. And he basically just like breaks down on the phone with me and is like, listen, this is my family. I don't want to lose them. I don't want you to step in and be dad. I'm like, cool. I don't want any of that stuff either. This is where it got weird. During this entire process, my mom obviously had to find out about this. Mm-hmm. She's my mom. Who right. else am I going to talk to? <laughs> my mom immediately says, well, this is my grandbaby and I'm going to be grandma. And I Ooh. said, this is not appropriate. We are not related. I mean, we're related by blood. And she's like, yeah, he's my blood and I'm going to be grandma. So my mom builds a relationship with this family now. And it plays grandma. She goes to the holidays. She takes them to dinners. She buys them gifts. And not just the kid that I've, you know, helped create, but this woman has like four other children now, mine being the oldest. Mm. Uh, Now my mom is grandma to all of her kids and like spends family time with this other family that is like illegitimately illegitimately mine. 
Mm -hmm. uh, which caused some serious conflict within my side of the family because for me she really overstepped her boundaries and was like trying to force me to be a part of this family that I'm, I'm not a part of and I came to terms with that a long time ago I look at it very similar as if I were to have given him up for adoption like he mm-hmm. has family that loves him he has people that take care of him he has an entire life with siblings and everything and it would be really rude of me to come in and cause a conflict or change that pattern because especially with children with autism routine and structure are like big for them mm-hmm. I, my stepson now is autistic uh, i've been raising him since he was four he just turned nine so for five years i've already been living that life now mm-hmm. so it's it's uh, It was really difficult for, for the family, especially for me and my mom after all of that, uh, because I, I'm an out of sight, out of mind kind of person. Like if it's not right in front of me, I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. But for her, it was, you know, when are you going to be a part of this? You're missing all of this kid's life and, you know, you need to do this. And she would tell me these stories. And I'm like, listen, like I really, if you can't respect my boundaries, I don't want to talk to you. And go ahead. And with that, so your mom is forcing this relationship. However, the husband at this time called you and told you he didn't want you to step up and play dad. So how that's also, how did the family react to your mom with that whole dynamic? You know, she is a pushy, pushy little lady and (laughs) everybody calls her grandma. I mean, those are her. Those are her other children at this point. I mean, they they call each other on the phone all the time. They hang out regularly. My mom was living in California. uh, So I moved out there in 2006. My mom moved out there uh, around the beginning of 2008 because she wanted to be closer to where I was. Um, And then 2013, uh, well, I moved back here to Pittsburgh in 2012. My mom moved back here 2013 or 14. Again, no reason for her to be in California. I was the only family she had out there. She came out mm. here. She decided to buy her house here, like within 10 minutes of where this family lives, so she could be close to them as well. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. So we're talking, this kid is now, I think he just turned 14 or 15. Okay. So we're talking, you know, he's he's a young man. Mm-hmm. Uh my grandma is is Grammy Sandy and you know, that is just what they do. She takes them to her house sometimes for like a day or two. And like, she goes on little mini trips with them and has sleepovers and does holidays. And yeah. Uh, and finally over the last, I'd say two or three years after several years of just being major conflict between the two of us turned into an understanding of what my position is on this. And she's really, stepped back that pushiness and realized that this kid has a family and that I have really uh, done the things that I needed to do and said that I would do. And, you know, if anybody ever needed anything else from me, I'm only a phone call away, Uh, but I'm not going to participate in a family that's not mine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it took a while for her to figure that out and for her to let it go. And I mean, it was very awkward because at the time, you know, I, I was in a relationship I was going to say, so what about you and, and, and during all of this, what is, you know, your life, your DJ, your, you know, I'm, I'm DJing. Uh, I'm living in California. So I was actually, I was involved in the cannabis industry pretty heavy out there. I was living on a cannabis farm and like doing that whole thing. And the girl I was dating at the time, I, I don't do well with conflict style conversation uh, okay. I'm, I'm very much like cut and dry. Like this is what it is. And that's the end of story. Like, I don't want to hear both sides. I, I, it's really dickish of me, but that's just who I am. I'm working on it. I'm going to therapy. <laughs> right? uh, so I get on the phone with her and I'm like, listen, I got to tell you something. And she's like trying to pick apart all of the different details. And I'm like, listen, you just got to stop and like, let me process this. I can't go through this with you right now. Mm-hmm. and just would push and push and push. And finally it got to the point where like when I pushed too far, I snapped back mm-hmm. and it very much became one of those ones where my mouth became a lot bigger than it needed to be. And I started just saying like all of the rudest things in the possible world. Cause I couldn't offer her any sort of what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, 
I couldn't be kind. I couldn't yeah. find a, a nice way of telling her that I was overwhelmed, which turned into me picking apart the things in her that I didn't like. I was going to say you were transferring all of that stuff that you had, you know, and, and your emotional that, you know, that, cause that is a huge bomb to just learn all of that. And then to have your, you know, your mother push for that. And I mean, that is a lot to take on. So yeah, you just kind of, let it out, right? Oh, I did. I let it out in such a way that she did not speak to me again. Oh, my gosh. It's been, oh, let's see. We're 2021. It's been a while. Uh, but, yeah, that was, uh, we had maybe like one or two conversations after that, that initial one, and that was pretty much it. I needed to kind of carry this one alone for a while. Yeah, I mean, did you tell like your friends? Did you even think about therapy or did you like have any like a confidant or did you just really internally harbor this? My immediate friend circle already kind of knew because we'd seen the photos online. So it became official. Like, yeah, I I told a few of them. I had never posted about it online. Okay. Uh, I don't make comments about it on Facebook. I don't like share photos of them or anything like that. Mm -hmm. It's something that like I've carried myself and like, once I've, I've had, a, I've had several relationships I, uh, of, since then. And it was one of those things that I didn't want to tell my partners because if you say, oh, well, I have a son that I don't raise and that I've never met, people think, oh, well, this guy is not reliable or this guy is deadbeat or whatever. And it's like, that's not the circumstance, but trying right. to explain everything to everybody every time was just draining. Right, and, right. It also throws up a lot of red flags for women when they're like, well, this guy apparently (laughs) doesn't wrap it up. He doesn't know how to take care of his responsibilities. Uh, Chances are he could do this to me. And I literally, I I had a girl that I took out to California for vacation and to meet my mom and all this stuff that I was dating. And I never talked to her about this because it's not something that really comes up unless you need Mm -hmm. to. And my mom, like within the first five minutes, starts talking about this kid. And literally, like, that was the end of the relationship. This oh girl was gosh. like, I couldn't believe you didn't tell me about this. I'm like, well, there's really nothing to tell you. You know, I'm not in a relationship with this woman. I'm not raising this child. She doesn't want anything from me. Uh, she, and she couldn't understand that how my mother could be a part of the kid's life. I mean, I couldn't be. Mm-hmm. And I, it, it took a long time for my mom especially to really realize that this was not her decision to make. And even though I am, yes, his biological father, that does not mean that I have to be there in his life every day. Right. Especially. And for me, the autism side of it really, not that I'm, I'm afraid of the autism. I'm raising a child with autism, Mm -hmm. but it is apparent to me that it would be really confusing to him to eight, 10 years, 15 years into his life, say, hey, this is daddy number two. Right, because he's already, the husband of the woman, it has been his, his, his dad his whole life, right? Signed the birth certificate, was there when he was born, raised him from day mm, one. So, okay. Uh, for me, that was a really big part of my decision-making. Yeah. Don't confuse this kid any further than he needs to be. You know, mm-hmm. he's got a happy, healthy life. He's got brothers and sisters. He's got a mom and dad that love him. He's got grandparents that take care of him. He's got mm-hmm. everything he needs in his circle. He does not need somebody like me coming in and being, I don't want to say unreliable because I'm, I'm a very reliable person, but um, fair weather or part-time or, you know, any of those other types of adjectives that have kind of explained that I wouldn't be there all the time or I wouldn't be a hundred percent committed all the time. Like as Right. So moving forward to the, the future, you're the, you have a girlfriend now? I do. We've been together almost six years. Uh, she has a son that I've been helping raise. Mm-hmm. He just turned nine. He, we got together when he was just about to be five. Um, so uh, he's also on the spectrum, not mm-hmm. as severely as my biological son is. So it's shown me a lot more of like that routine and structure that these children require to help Mm -hmm. them have a pleasant and like non-explosive style of life uh, Mm -hmm. because tantrums and the explosions and stuff are very, very real. 
Mm-hmm. So it's, it's taught me a lot. And it also showed me that, you know, I wasn't afraid of being a dad. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it turns out I'm actually an amazing dad. Uh, mm-hmm. my and I have like one of the best relationships ever. We do so much stuff together. And like, he's one of my best friends. The problem that was in this relationship was I couldn't get past looking at this woman and seeing somebody that would lie to her family, her friends, and trying to build a relationship or a friendship or a family with somebody like that. I I carried a lot of animosity and I, I couldn't get past that part of it. And for me, I, I don't want to be pretending to like someone because you can always tell if somebody just doesn't like you or doesn't want to be around you and trying to be like that in front of children is just not fair. So I definitely get where that, that comes from, you know, feeling that way because, you know, she didn't even reach out to you. It was, I, I, you know, I, it's hard to, you know, figure out what was going on in her mind at that point. But even posting, you know, the child on social media, and if he looks exactly like you, I mean, you know what I mean? And, and even you'll see sometimes people do post like the picture of the kid and their dad, and you're kind of like, you know what I mean? So especially once they started having other kids, like the other kids look just like their dad. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like you see kid number two and you see her next to her dad and you're like, oh yeah, that one's that, that goes to that for sure. Right, right. And I'm like, cool, buddy, your siblings are going to know. Yeah. Yep. You got that olive skin, bro. My mother pale white kids are not going to do it. Uh, Right. They're going to, yeah. And, you know, I wonder, wow, that is such a complex like scenario to randomly, you know, find out. And like I said, just by online, it's not like you got the phone call or oh, yeah. if, anything if it like wasn't that. for that, she would have never said a thing to me. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. So when she finally did start, you know, approaching me and talking about, you know, needing help or needing money and things like that, you know, I, I like to think of myself as a pretty honorable guy. Uh, I, I was going to say that was honorable when you said you're willing to pay for, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like I, I have no problem. You know, I will take care of my responsibilities, but I will take care of them to the extent of, you know, financially mm-hmm. you know, I'm trying to build an emotional relationship with her or this child or anything like that. And people I'm sure thought that it was a little cold because of that. But at the same time, I, I look at all of these families that give up children for adoption and things like that. This is literally the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. The only issue is I was not given the choice. Right. Right. Um, yeah. You weren't given the choice, the conversation, nothing in this. And one of the things that I think would have been different had I been able to meet this child from like birth and get to know him and be a part of like, any decision-making or anything like that, I'm sure that it would have been different. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But coming to me when the kid is, you know, seven, eight, whatever years old and saying, hey, by the way, you have to be a dad now. Right. Taken away all of the stuff that I would have wanted from like, you know, holding my own child as a baby, mm-hmm. you know, feeding them, letting them nap on your chest, like all of those things, yeah. you know, being a parent, you, you hold so dear to you. I didn't get any of that. What I was getting was you know, the eight to 10 years later where things were already starting to be kind of fucked up and they needed somebody to come in and help. And it wasn't fair to me and it wasn't fair to him. Yeah. So the, the final decision basically for me was, you know, if you need something, you let me know. And if you don't need anything, mm-hmm. don't talk to me. Right. I got you. Yeah. And like you said, you know, you know, uh, the kid is very well taken care of and loved. So that in, in, in all actuality, that's really what all you could want for a child is that. So, and you know, if someday down the line, he does figure out that he's not related, which it's not going to happen. I mean, he right. doesn't have the capacity for that. Mm-hmm. Um, I will always be a phone call away. Yeah, you know, totally. He, mother, he spends holidays and stuff with her. He knows his mother. They know, they all know how to get in touch with me. Mm-hmm. If for some reason he one, one day wakes up and says, Hey, I don't look like you guys, which I don't think is going to happen. Right. Uh, he'll know how to find me or I'll only be, you know, minutes away or phone calls away. Right. I'm totally right. to that. If it's his choice, the right. thing, I don't think it will ever be his choice. 
So I'm not going to just force myself into a relationship or a family that I don't fit into. I, I no, I totally, you know, I feel that um, I've heard literally, you know, stories of, you know, 40 years, you know, and, and someone fi- finds out that they have a kid 40 years later, it's like, wow, you know, and yeah, so that's, it's really interesting, like I said, for social media to have been the connector for your friends for all that, you know, um, to really shed light on this i mean it started off as just like my friend thinking he was making a really funny fucked up joke <laughs> and then look yeah, exactly ah. like, oh years later like this wasn't a joke bro i, I did that I, my pull-out <laughs> game was weak <laughs> oh my well uh, that is one you know that is, that is the story. yeah that's that is how i became a dad yes wow um, but that being said, when I finally was given an opportunity to be a father, mm-hmm. it meant a lot more to me, I think. And oh, I, yeah. I, I'm much happier in the position that I am in mm-hmm. than I probably would have been otherwise. Because uh, I never had any intentions of, of being a dad or having a family. Like, I thought I was gonna, just going to be like, you know, bachelor for life, you know, <laughs> pulling a different one every couple of weeks and like, right. having fun. Right, right, right. I had a long track record where, like, I dated and my dates were like, you know, we'd date for like two, three weeks and then I'd be on to the next one. And this was like Mm -hmm. the time of my life for 10, 15 years. And something like this kind of makes you like grow up a little bit. Like, definitely. And in life, different, you know, you think a little differently. Mm -hmm. Like, when I was younger, I partied hard. I did a lot of drugs. You know, I I went hard in the paint for a lot of years. (laughs) I, I didn't even think I could have kids. Like for the longest mm. time, like I was, I was doing everything you put in front of me. If it was smoking it or sniffing it or whatever, I was doing it and I was doing all of it. So I thought for sure, like, ah, there's no way that I could have a problem, whatever. Shoot it wherever you need to go, dude. Just to come in everybody who who cares. Right. And uh, yeah, chances are now I don't do that. Uh, <laughs> I've learned my lesson, wrap it up, pull it out, whatever you got to do, buddy. Right. Right. Cause you never know. I mean, yeah, that is um, one. We do have another topic to talk about. If you yes, want, yes. the other one, it's, it's not as lighthearted of a topic. Not that this one was either, but. Uh, yeah, no, we have um, the second topic, which is male sexual abuse. Yeah. So this one, it might be a little bit more difficult for me to talk about. I've never talked about yeah. this with anybody outside of like my therapist, my mother, uh another victim i appreciate you for you know being vulnerable enough to come and and speak on this i've reached a point in my life and in my career where it's really important to me that i reach people in a way to let them know that like one they're not alone Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they have something that they can relate to learn from um you know understand that like I want to make the world a better place. Yeah. You know, I, I was a taker for a very long time. I've reached a point in my career and my life where I want to give back. Mm-hmm. I feel like this is a really important way for me to do that. Uh, so I'll just kind of start from the beginning. When I was, I don't even know how old, maybe six or seven, uh, the abuse started. So an older girl that's related to me was also a victim of abuse. Um, what she was going through ended up transferring over to stuff with me. You know, it would start off with like hand stuff, kissing, eventually turned into, you know, oral sex, actual intercourse. Um, and we're talking from the age of six till I was almost like 12. So a good oh, wow. six years of this uh, until the older person actually ended up getting pregnant, not by me, uh, but by another person that she was having sex with. Oh, wow. So, uh, many, many years this went on, you know, behind closed doors, she would have sex with me. Uh, she would have her little sister have sex with me. She would have her friends have sex with me. Um, and we're talking, you know, anytime we were left alone, essentially, which was a lot because in the eighties and early nineties, there weren't rules about all of that shit. Like you can be left home alone for 12 hours a day. No problem. No. But we gave a shit. So I'm not sure how it started essentially or even when or why 
I have some really vague memories of things happening. Mm-hmm. The timeline in my brain doesn't really line up with very well because of how young I was. Um, the hard part for me after all of this, you know, when you're young and something becomes like routine almost, you don't look at it as I'm doing something bad or I'm doing something negative. Right. It just becomes like, okay, this is what happens when I'm here now. I just get used to it and you do it. And whether you're, you know, having sex with this girl or that girl or this girl, it didn't really matter to me at that point. It was just, Hey, you're here. You're going to have sex with us. Like, okay, whatever. What it did though, was it took away my opportunity for all of those firsts. So, you know, Mm -hmm. the first time I had sex, there was not that like loving, natural, you know, emotional connection, like a lot of people have with their first. Mine was, I want to try something. Okay. Uh, Same with like the first time I gave head. Wasn't because I wanted to give somebody head and lick some pussy. It's because this person had either had it done to her already from somebody else or had seen it in porn or whatever, wherever she found it and wanted me to try it. So this was like the, my introduction to sex was, you know, emotionless, non-connective, just physical sex. Right. And at that age, you don't really know what, what's even really taking place because those conversations and stuff aren't being had at all. No, not at all. My, my parents were oblivious. Her parents were oblivious. Um, around the time I was 11 or 12, uh, she had accused her stepfather of abusing her. And that's oh. when things started to kind of come out. But nobody believed her. I believed her because I knew what was happening behind the scenes with her and I. Right. This makes total sense now. But it ended up becoming this whole ordeal within the family. And she got like suicidal because nobody would believe her. And they ended up committing her to Western psych. So what I saw was a young person who stepped up about being abused, get told that they're a liar and that they're making things up. And to a point where they literally had her committed into a hospital So for me at that young age, I'm like, well, apparently I shouldn't say anything to anybody because you're just going to think I'm a liar or you're going to think that I'm making shit up or you're going to send me away. Right. Wow. You know, 20 years of my life, almost 30 years of my life, I kept that in. I didn't talk to anybody about it. Uh, Same with the other girl who was being abused, who was the younger one. So the way it worked, there was a girl that was about two and a half, almost three years older than me. And then her sister, who was about two years younger than me. So I was right in the middle of both. Okay. So the older sister would have sex with me. She would have the little sister have sex with me. Uh, And then she also had like a couple of friends that would come over every so often. And like whenever there would be sleepovers, I would have sex with all of them. So. Such a young age. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this was, like I said, between the ages of like six and 12. So. My and she was just mimicking the behavior that was being done to her at that, you know, cause you said she was three years older. So if that she's yep. what, nine, 12, exactly. 15. Yeah. So she's just mimicking what it was done to her thinking that this is what you do. Exactly. Oh, wow. So, you know, I, I didn't really think anything of it at the time because, you know, mm-hmm. why would I like it's just, this is what has been happening for so long that this is just what we do. And like, we obviously knew that we shouldn't be doing it for the most part, because like we would do it when people weren't around and we would do it at night. So like we were sneaking it, but at the same time, like it didn't, it wasn't being looked at as if it was something bad. And after a while, like, you know, sex feels good. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Having something that feels good with somebody that like, you know, you're close to already kind of mimics the idea of like that sort of thing. Yep, even yep. It's not. So uh, it didn't, it finally stopped when she got pregnant. Mm-hmm. Um, at that point they sent her to go live with her dad in Ohio and everything stopped with me and everybody else because I wasn't going to pursue it. I wasn't trying to like, it was just one of those things that she was the leader and, you know, would, you know, persuade us into doing these sorts of things. And I mean, mm-hmm. she'd be 
she'd even beat me up a couple of times for like not wanting to and shit like that. Oh my oh, God. Yeah. So it, uh, it stopped then. And I started to get like my first girlfriends and things like that. So I'm, you know, my, I'm 11 years old at this point with my first girlfriend ever, you know, talking like end of fifth grade, sixth grade. And I'm trying to have, you know, sexual relationships with a girl that's, you know, 11 years old. Right. Right. Because for me, I've been having sex for like five years. I was saying in your mind, you think this is what you do because you've been, it's been happening for years. Yeah, totally. So, oh, wow. So, you know, from that point on every relationship I, I have, I'm like trying to just, I make it a sexual thing right away. Right. So when I turned 16, mm-hmm. I stopped having sex. I like, I got to a point where I didn't want physical connection with anybody. And I stopped having sex for almost three years. At okay. that. Um, I just, I couldn't get past my own physical stuff. And I was starting to really develop issues with my own body mm-hmm. and like not wanting touched. Um, as I got a little bit older and I started getting more involved in like the rave scene and taking like MDMA and things like that. And be- those drugs that make you kind of a little bit more physical yeah. Uh, I didn't necessarily like that part of it, but it opened up the idea for me that like I could appreciate my body and that sense of physical touch with people. And so I started getting into more relationships and that's when it turned into just being like a man whore. You know, I was sticking my dick in everything that would move, you know, white girls, black girls, brown girls, skinny girls, fat girls didn't matter. Like mm-hmm. I would fuck anything that would look at me in the right way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, it took me years to realize that like I was doing that for the physical pleasure side of it, but mostly I was doing that because I didn't understand or appreciate myself and I had no value for me or my body. Like I just thought that I was a vessel for sex for everybody and that's what I did. So I would fuck whoever, whenever it didn't matter. Uh, you know, it, it caused a lot of issues within my relationships because I don't build those emotional connections like at all. And and it took a long time for me to try and figure out how to do that. And I still struggle with this. I've been in the same relationship now for almost six years, which is the longest relationship I've ever been in. And we're having a lot of struggles in our own intimacy right now. Mm -hmm. Because over the last several years, I've really kind of fallen back into that. I don't want to be touched phase. Oh, okay. And I'm not sure how to break myself out of it. Uh, I've been talking to my therapist about it a lot. And I've been looking for solutions. And it's not that I don't want to have sex. It's just the actual sensation of physical touch for me. It like, it makes my skin crawl a little, you know, I, I know that my girlfriend loves me and values me as a human and values me for my body. And like, doesn't just want to have sex with me, but at the same time, my my internal feeling is please don't touch me i don't like it right and our bodies hold and harbor trauma in ways that we don't always necessarily understand mm-hmm. so yeah i think so it's uh it's been a difficult one i'm i'm trying to actively better that side of myself because there's no reason that i should be this way i mean i spent years just fucking and fucking and fucking and now that I'm in this like loving, caring relationship, mm-hmm. sex like once every couple of weeks. And it used to be, you know, I could have sex with three different women in one day and be totally fine. Right. So I, I don't know if my body just responds better to sleeping without emotional connection or if it is just past trauma that's catching up with me or what, but I'm trying to figure out how to get past it at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the, well, what's really beneficial is that you did start, you know, seeing a therapist and, and talking about that. Yeah, oh, yeah sure. absolutely. I mean, I didn't open up about this to my own family <laughs> until I was in my thirties. Yeah. Mm. My mom had no idea. I still remember the day I told her we were sitting on her front porch and she, I forget what she said. And I was like, she, she was talking about the girl and I was like, you know, I don't speak to her. And she's like, I don't know why you don't speak to her. I'm like, I don't speak to her because she abused me for like a decade. Right. My mom, her jaw just dropped. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm like, 
you didn't, and I, I thought she knew for some reason, like I thought that they knew and that they just kind of didn't say anything about it. I was like, you know, this, this happened for years. It happened to me. It happened to her little sister. It happened this way and that way. And it like, it came out within the family at that point. And we're talking, this may be six or seven years ago now, maybe eight years ago. So it wasn't that long ago that like it started to come out and the older sister like denies, 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 says it didn't happen. The little sister and I both know that it did both are right. open about it. We've both spoken to each other about it. Uh, there has been hugs and cries and apologies and like understanding that like we were young and we were abused and that abuse transferred over to one another. And like, I it wasn't it. your fault. No, it, no, no, I don't blame the older girl either. It wasn't her fault. You know, right. somebody, somebody abused her and that abuse transferred down and transferred down. And like, that's how this shit works. You know, it, uh, it definitely makes it difficult for me to have a physical connection with my own son now, because I don't want him to think that I'm like being overly affectionate. Like my family outside of the abuse side, like my dad's side, we don't hug, we don't kiss. Like my dad gives me handshakes. Well, so did my grandfather. Mm -hmm. Uh, My mom's side, the women hug, the men Mm -hmm. shake hands. Like that's about as far as it gets. So uh, it's, it's made that physical touch as a father, very taboo and weird for me. And like, I give my son hugs and I give him kisses and he wants to like kiss me a million times. I'm like one, mm-hmm. one bro, one, <laughs> one on the, on the cheek, on the forehead. That's it. You're not kissing me on the lips. None of that shit. <laughs> and like, it's not, he doesn't know and he doesn't care. Like he just wants love and affection and affection. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I want to do that, but I need to give it to you in a manner that makes me comfortable. Right. True. Yeah. So it's a, it's weird, man. It's a weird way to have lived an entire life. And especially because men aren't supposed to be the ones that are abused. You don't hear about people talking about a man that was sexually abused unless it's like by a priest and it was some gay stuff or whatever. Right. You hear a lot of women abusing young men. And for me, it does, it, for a while I didn't know if it would like make me feel weak or if it would make me look weak because I let a woman take advantage of me or whatever. Uh, but it was one of those things where I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't think people would react well to it or have an understanding or know that like, you know, I didn't have a choice in the matter. Like it wasn't something that I could just be like, no, I'm not doing this. And I'm telling on you, beat the fuck up. Right. Right. She was bigger than me. She was stronger than me at the time. Like she could totally, she fucking hit me with D batteries and shit. Like she fucked me up. Uh, so you know, that also puts it into a position where like, you know, it, it demasculates you and it makes you feel like a lesser man. And it wasn't until later that I realized that that wasn't true, but right. it also made me force and force myself to, you know, kind of toughen up and become more cold and more hard and, you know, play more of that, uh, that like badass gangster role. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of that tough, tough wall up. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can see, I'm like, I'm covered in tattoos. <laughs> I, I look like that dude. And I, I was that dude for a long time. I was up to some shit that like people shouldn't have been up to and, mm-hmm. and you know, like landing me in jail. And like, I ended up in all this crazy shit. And a lot of it stems from like the stuff that happened to me as a child that has right. over to my life now that, 30 years later, I'm still processing and still dealing with. Right. Right. I was going to say, I mean, from all, just from you sharing these two stories with us, um, I can definitely see, you know, hesitation with, you know, like you said, the women in your life or getting close to women. It totally, you know, yeah, I can. It made sex for me a conquest. You know, I looked at every woman as, more of a challenge than somebody that I wanted to get to know. You know, it, it made it this like pursuit and conquer type of situation. So, you know, I'm working now on building that emotional connection side of things. I, I didn't even have that as part of something that registered with me for the longest time. It was all physical, physical, physical. And when the physical stopped being fun, the relationship ended. Right. So okay. now I've reached a point where, 
you know, the physical isn't there, but the emotional connection is there with my partner. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to figure out how to balance the both and, and give her everything. And I mean, weird shit that stuck with me, like giving head. Yeah. I, the first time I ever gave head and it, my, my abuser used icing from a toaster strudel on her vagina and said, you know, you'll love this. Try it. And now every time I give head, I think about fucking toaster strudels and the taste of icing on a pussy. And it is like, turns me off so fucking much. Like I will do it, but I'll do it like out of spite. That's where it's at. And I feel bad because like, I know that my girlfriend loves it. And I've, I've known that other girls that I've dated love it. And it's so difficult for me to want to do it because of that. And it's one of those ones where like, I, I, trying to think of how I can get past that. And it just, it's hard for me. It's, right. it's, it's become one of those ones where like my girlfriend understands and she knows that like, this is why doesn't mean that she doesn't want it any less right. because for her, that's a, a really good way for her to get off. She doesn't get off from penetration in her course. You know, it's, it's external stimulation of the clitoris. It's toy, yeah. it's oral. Like that's what works for her. So for me, like, obviously I want to give her that pleasure Mm-hmm. but I can't mentally get past my own bullshit to give her everything that she wants. So we've been trying to work for different things and figure out how to like give her the pleasure side of stuff that she wants without it being something that causes me to feel like, you know, tra- trauma, abuse, you know. Uh, right. Right. And that's definitely, I mean, all of that is definitely a work in progress. Uh, you know, it's, it's definitely something as traumatic as those things, I think it's a daily, um, you know, struggle and a daily determination to, to, you know, um, you know, not have them so present and, you know, in the front of our mind. Um, but, but um, going to therapy definitely and, and speaking about things and, um, even talking like, you, you know, with other survivors about their experiences and stuff like that. Um, I, I, you know, I've been, the unfortunate things I, I definitely have been hearing more and more about uh, younger men, seven, eight, nine, um, with an older cousin or something like that, extended family member or something. And um, I, I really do think it's, it's a huge issue that, that definitely needs to be talked about more for sure. Oh, yeah. And I mean, that's, that's exactly why when you made your post looking for people to talk, I was like, you know, this is a time in my life where I feel comfortable speaking publicly about this. Yeah. Um, and I think I mentioned to you, I, I'd, I'd seen a post from another friend of mine who's also a DJ who basically shared like what my story was, but it was his own. Mm. And he'd, he'd, he'd been going through a breakup at the time and he was just like venting and like needed to get it off of his chest. But when he did it, he was the first person in my entire life. I'm talking, I was, 36 this was like just last year uh first person in 30 years that i saw say something like this that shared my story because you always hear about young women being abused or hear about young men being abused by other men you don't hear about men being abused by women but it's a thing i mean it's it's definitely a thing the grooming a uh, you know women teachers are grooming younger students oh it's definitely a thing for sure unfortunately oh yeah and i mean when you do hear stuff like that, you always get the chuckle of like, lucky boy, good for him. Yeah. I'm like, bro, you don't understand. Like, right. I will never know what it's like to have a first time ever. And like, those are one of those things, like people have that story. And I'm like, I can't even share my first time as a story with people. Right. And people are like, Oh, how old were you when you lost your virginity? And I lie. And I tell them I was 11 and it was my first girlfriend, but I was like six. Right. But you tell somebody, well, you know, I had sex when I was six. Like, well, you couldn't come. I'm like, yeah, but I could get it hard on. You know, right. I had sex for probably four years before I could ever come. Maybe five. Right. Oh, my. It's like, it's, it's a weird situation to live in. Yeah. Uh, and it's one that society-wise doesn't, I think, get the seriousness that other abuses right. do get. I agree. Because like you said, most people check it. Oh, you're lucky. You know, that they, they turn around to like, you're lucky or something when that's totally wrong. You know what I mean? You know, sex should be consensual between two parties that know what's going on. And you were robbed of that. So yep. yeah. 
Oh yeah. And I mean, I look at my kid now who, you know, he's just turned nine. I'm like, dude, I was, I was actively like in the midst of my abuse at that point. So, you know, we, he doesn't even like, he understands where babies come from. Right. About the extent of his sexual knowledge. He knows that they come from mommy's tummy after there is sex. Right. So to look at that and then to look where I was at or to look where these girls were at at that age, I'm like, you know, thank fucking God you're not going through this shit and you will never go through this shit. Right. And, you know, we can just protect the younger generation and people as much as we can, you know, and, but, uh, you know, you sharing this story 100%, um, I think, you know, people can definitely resonate with um, your story. And I am so happy that you came on and shared these two amazing stories with me. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. What was you going to say? Let's say, uh, feel free if, if somebody ever reaches out to you and they want to talk to somebody that's gone through the shit that I've gone through. Like I'm okay. happy to talk to people about this sort of stuff at this point. Sure. Uh, wonderful. And it's important uh, to have somebody else that you can share with that has that sort of stuff going on. A million percent. For me, I didn't have that until recently. And now that I have it, like I feel that it's very important that other people know that this exists. Yes. Yes, yes, I love that. I will definitely make sure, you know, like I said, or uh, if anyone hits me up or anybody sees this, um, you know, I think your your social media will be included. So if you might get some DMs or questions. That's fine. Um, but yeah, so thank you for coming on Tickle.Live's podcast, uh, talking about sex, tell me your story. Um, any of our listeners, viewers, please comment, share, and let us know your feedback. Um, thank you again, TJ, for this wonderful episode. Absolutely. It was so great to see you again, Malaya. Yes, it is. Yeah, best of luck with all of your stuff and all of your classes, and thank you for having me. Oh, thank you. Thank you.